to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be um, kind of excited. We're going to be looking at a couple things that are um, extremely dear to my heart, um, extremely, extremely important. Um, uh, and uh, we're going to spend two weeks looking at... Um, this idea of godly leadership um, and, and what that entails. And so we're spending two weeks. I was wondering to do it in one week. It's just too much, too heavy, um, too much to go through. So godly leadership for the next two weeks. And then we're going to spend the next about 10, maybe 11 weeks, 11, 12, just depending on how the weeks work out, on, in just some parables of Jesus, just thinking through, spending time. So in the Word, going through, just spending time with, with Christ in His Word, um, uh, there's there's a little bit of a dilemma sometimes when you go into one of the books um, of uh, one of the gospels, so like the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John. I think I taught through the Gospel of Luke and and through the Gospel of John, and like um, you can either if you just go through it verse by verse, like I mean it can be like 56 weeks, 58 weeks, and so then some people will try to take different parts. But I, I felt like that um, after coming through. Second Corinthians, some heavy stuff, some spiritual warfare, some different things going on. And then um, over the summer, this idea of train us for eternity, um, to, for us, just the, the soul care and, and the, the essence of Christianity, of, of listening to the Master's Word. So we're going to spend some time in those parables. And just, just the way that Jesus, in this loving, incredible way, shocks the crowd with, with, with this counter-cultural counterintuitive idea of love that, that, that is from the very heart of God. So to hear from God himself and to speak to us. So I'm really excited about those. Um, that will also allow us in those parables of Jesus, um, so we'll, we'll do a different parable um, that allows me also to have different guys to, to come and, and take a parable and I can know, hey, four weeks out or eight weeks out that different guys would be able to do that and without having to know exactly in a text where we're going to be. Um, if we're going through one of the uh, uh, other um, Old Testament or New Testament books. So I'm really excited. I haven't done just the parables of Jesus. I love the parables of Jesus. I love spending time with Jesus in those, but um, I haven't done that in a teaching series before other than going through books of the Bible. Um, and so we'll, we'll, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. This next two weeks, um, thinking through this idea of godly leadership. So um, Many of you guys know, so I love sports, love different things. One of the things I love about sports is it pushes you to overcome adversity, whatever whatever kind of thing that could be. And that, there could be lots of different avenues, but me personally, just it pushes you to overcome adversity. The adversity of yourself, like I do not want to run anymore, I don't want to lift anymore, I don't want to do this. That person's bigger than me, I'm, I'm not as fast, or I'm, that person's just difficult, uh, playing against this person, different things. There's people that are better than you, and so just overcoming that mental adversity. But um, but creating a culture of people that overcome, in the church's aspect, spiritual adversity. And so that, that's exactly what we're dealing with. It, would anyone disagree that what we're looking at in the world right now um, is just spiritual adversity? Now, now again, we, we don't have to be fearful because the New Testament, all the New Testament letters in God's plan, he sent the gospel uh, to, to develop churches and to send grassroots um, gospel-based churches in the middle of cities that were much worse than the worst cities in America. So we don't have to be fearful that, well, what if Christianity doesn't work in 2025 or in 2030 or in 2040? Like Ephesus, um, Thessalonica, um, Philippi, like a lot of these cities, Rome, they were much worse sometimes in some of their immorality and some of their uh, scandalous things. And we know that in America, there's all these, well, we have all these freedoms and all these different um, right and left arguing with each other and the financial decisions. What would it be like to be under an oppressive, powerful government who, like, like what today's China or North Korea? That's what a lot of those were going into and where sometimes uh, the gospel had to survive through adversity like that. And so um, that, that means creating a culture. Um, some of you guys know one of my close friends, Matt Wells, who had been at Texas Tech, had been at Utah State and Texas Tech. 
And as we were planting this church, Matt was taking over at Texas Tech. And so one of the things, and I know Coach McCoy knows this also, is that creating a culture. It's not just a matter of, hey, I've got um, this guy who can run really fast or throw the ball really far, or this one guy who is phenomenal on making tackles. Like You want to create a culture that everyone buys into. Now, creating a culture takes a lot of time. Uh, in college coaching in particular, um, you get hired for millions of dollars, and they want culture change tomorrow. They want culture change now. And it takes time to develop. In college football, you're also dealing with the, the three, four years of guys who were recruited there that may not actually fit what you're wanting to do, your offense, your defensive schemes, your offensive schemes. And so um, Matt sadly landed in Texas Tech there where it was literally guys were saying, hey, we want like national championship like, I don't know, 12 months from now. And so if you guys haven't been aware, Texas Tech hasn't been up there in those you know, top four rankings. And so, but they wanted it now and they had money. And so they expected it. Um, on paper, you can show a great strategy. You can show a great vision, whether that's church planting, whether that's a business model, whether that's coaching. But then um, the reality is, in all those things, you have to learn to adapt. You only get what God gives. Now, some people, if it's a certain business or if you've got daddy's money, you can just go and you know, keep on making bad decisions and throwing money, at it, throwing money at it and trying to change. But everyone wants culture change that is described, but everyone also wants fast results. Um, when Matt landed at uh, Texas Tech, um, he gets there, and in those first two years, his number one quarterback goes down an injury. His number two quarterback goes down an injury. You're lucky if your third-string quarterback is pretty decent to lead in college football, right? And so in the Big 12, and so he also loses three main receivers. He's got his third-string quarterback, and then he loses five starters that are juniors and seniors on the defense, five starting uh, defensive guys, first quarterback, second quarterback. So, But guess what? You promised us results. We're paying you this much money. Can't you make that happen? It's a completely different scenario, but ex expected results is the same thing. Um, so just crazy things. So we've talked about how creating a culture, you have to be very deliberate. You have to be very intentional, and it's a very patient work. You can't go by just, um, hey, we tried to do this thing, and it didn't, didn't work out right, so I guess the whole thing is scrapped. No, no, you have to stick to that. There could be little bitty incremental things of why that didn't work out. And so you have to stick to this patient, intentional work, um, wanting to see the end product, as well as holding on to convictions when you're under fire, staying true to convictions when everyone's criticizing, when everyone's writing their Monday morning um, you know, quarterback stories. When everyone's, um, you've got 22-year-old journalists writing for the college papers, and they think they're an expert on this, you know, and they, they never even played sports, but man, I can sure write some good stuff about what he should have done in that game, and how they're just failing and failing, and so all of those things, um, when you're under fire, you've got to stay true to vision and culture, and, and knowing what that culture is. Um, when you talk about church leadership, add to that, some of us have been through churches where um, many of us have been affected or wounded or hurt by poor church leadership. Um, it could be guys who were really, really good at knowing the Bible and knowing the scriptures, and, and they let you know that they knew the scriptures, Greek, Hebrew. But when it comes to truly just loving your family, and being a loving person, that, that, that wasn't really them. They just had really kind of an iron fist. This is the rules. We keep that, right? We're a godly family. And that's how things were. So you've got these churches that either they're really, really strong doctrinally, but they're not a real welcoming, loving place. And sometimes when they're real strong doctrinally, there's so much of an external conformity. Like everyone kind of learns like, oh, if we're going to go there, I, I guess our one-year-old has to sit still in the chair and just say amen and bless the Lord. And he can't even talk yet, but that's what's expected. And so they're strong doctrinally, but they're but they not the most loving, welcoming. Well, then you've got kind of mainstream American church that's welcoming and just whatever it takes, doesn't matter. Oh, hey, you've been here two weeks. You've got nice clothes. Would you like to be one of our leaders? Would you like to be on our worship team? I haven't even asked if you know the Lord. Hey, are you guys, is he a doctor? Does he own his own company? Well, let's put him on a leadership board because obviously he's got money. We need that. And to keep him here, 
Let's give him a role. And so sometimes this mainstream culture, it's not really doctrinally sound. They don't have biblical stances for stuff, but they are real welcoming and friendly, so much so that we've seen kind of a liberalism that's taken over to where you can just live any lifestyle with no doctrinal understanding. And so many people have left the church due to those different types of leadership. Sometimes it's the horrific things that we've seen in the last few years. Um, Men who are in leadership cheating on their wives, destroying their families, hurting their kids, um, uh, stealing money, years and years and years of stealing money from the church for personal gain, for greedy gain, um, all kinds of abuses. Um, thankfully, some of the things are that now, some things have come out. If you've listened to the Mars Hill podcast, just years of things that went on in places. Um, you guys know I've been in three different places where um, the, the, the lead pastor above us uh, was pretty abusive and or deceitful and lying and doing that. So that, that, that's not like... That happens on Thursday and Friday it's fixed. Like that's a lot of time of kind of taking your time to like just pray and try to approach things and give time for grace. And you're always trying to give the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the doubt. And then like three months later, six months later, like it's worse. And and they're even more, uh, their heels are dug in even more. And you're going, man, what's going on? And, and what do you have to do the whole time? You can't go tell everyone in the church. You've still got to be loving and, and, and hey, hey guys, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Oh, the, the blood run down me? Oh, that's a knife that's been stuck in my back. It's from a leadership meeting. And so, you know, like, don't, don't notice that. But hey, we love you guys. And so those things happen. We've, we've had those things happen. You guys have been through those. Uh, how many church leaders? And at the same time, I've got friends who are like, man, when you talk about a plurality of leadership, you shouldn't do that. You need to do the CEO model just because if you create a board all it takes is two or three, five years down the road, they start not liking something about you and they will get these microscopes out and they will start like tearing apart little bitty things. You know, you know, we noticed that so-and-so, his preaching is kind of went this way. Well, you know what I noticed? He's also done that. And so sometimes there's guys who are taken down by boards because one of these guys at the third seat or fourth seat, they want that role. They want that position. That happens a lot of times. And so why would you create this board or this group that, that their job may be one day to fire you? And so that happens in churches that are led by plurality. So that's a, that's a reality. Um, add to it Pew Research, Ed Stetzer, Tom Rainer, Gallup, all those survey people and poll people, they all reveal that, that, that over 70% of people, it's probably a little bit higher now, 70% of people do not trust the people around them to make right decisions based on some of the data. So think about government. Do you trust your government a lot? Are they making some great decisions? Or whether it's you know, public um, situations uh, that, that, that we're dealing with, even uh, local um, economies, local and state governments. There's just, if you're on the right or the left, there, there's someone who's not happy, right? Uh, no matter what's coming out, um, there, we've got social media where now it's not just the newscasters, it's everyone who's getting to say a whole bunch of stuff and critique everything. And so like Wikipedia, you know, everyone's supposed to be right because if you can, if you can post it online, then it must be true. And so there is a lack of trust and discernment in, in, in who is telling us the truth. So that's a difficulty. Um, that's just a difficult place that we're at as a country. And in the middle of that, you've got churches. So um, with churches, um, there's a lack of trust in the leaderships of churches because of some of those things I've mentioned. They're stealing money. They're cheating. It's just like, when is this guy, when is it going to come out that this guy has been doing all these horrendous things that was secretive? And sometimes it looks really, really good. The facilities look incredible. The, 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 the programs they're spending, they, they've kind of got an iron fist and, they, and things are just happening. And then years later, you find out all these abuses, these situations, and it just it kind of takes a chunk out of us. Um, in that, in church planting, Brian Howard, um, Brian Howard was, is a guy, he's a kind of a, he's actually the, I think he's the vice president of Acts 29. So every time Acts 29 has some big problems, like they, they kind of like reshuffle and then they bring back Brian Howard, like, can you help us fix some stuff and get stabilized? And then he'll like go it for four years and then he'll step out. And then like something happens, some church or something. And then they're like, hey, Brian, can you come back and help us with this? And so he's right there under Matt Chandler. And it's a big organization. I, I love a ton of things that I love the missional aspect of uh, Acts 29. Sometimes they're super aggressive on, you know, fast, fast, fast reproduction. Like, if you're two years in as a church plant, you should already be planting your next church. 
Well, we would obviously fail at that, right? And so, like, um, that's a little aggressive, and there's some guys like that. Brian wouldn't say that, but Brian was in actually, he was actually in the the whole, he was one of the guys trying to hold things steady when the whole Driscoll thing was kind of going apart, and that's when they launched out and started Harbor Network, or what what used to be Sojourn Network. So I met Brian in those days. Um, One of my professors and kind of mentors, Dr. Allison, um, I remember um, when Brian would teach, his trainings were so good and so equipping but, but I was like, man, he's so good at all the tactical stuff. Is, there, is he like one of those guys that's like all tactical, like boom, 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 and he's not really kind of a heart guy that, that's really just a shepherd? And Allison said, oh, no, if you spent time with him, the shepherding is what leads to that. And I was like, oh, well, then I started talking to guys after guys after guys. So Brian Howard has not only planted a few churches, he has coached um, over 100 guys that have planted churches. When it goes bad, when it goes good, he's called on to do that. And that's why actually and I keeps on bringing him back as the, you know, the whole U.S. West director of church planting. Brian Howard has a, a thing when I was looking at church planting, and we were talking about that. Um, it says, wait five years, church planters, before you bring on elders. And so immediately you, you just think, well, man, if, we, if we're biblical, why wouldn't we have that first? We, we believe in a plurality of elders. And I remember reading that and talking to Brian, and I said, oh, my gosh, Brian. I told him personally. I, like, emailed him, and then I talked to him one time. I was like, dude, you missed it. Like, if the eldership doesn't go right, it, the whole church is gone. Like, I've been under three situations. Um, at the time, I'd been under two, and then I was going into another one that was kind of like that. I was like, man, if, if, if the eldership doesn't get right, I've been a part of some destructive ones and some uh, painful, abusive ones. And if you get that wrong, man, so you've got to have that from the beginning. He was like, no, you completely missed it. You, I, that's why I'm saying this is that way. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I just began to see all around me, guys inside Harbor Network, inside Acts 29, church planter friends that were in cohorts with me, um, that they, they launched month one. And I've got these two buddies, and, and they're going to be elders with me. Six months down the road, they're in tears. Hey, guys. Man, that, his wife kind of went off the roller coaster. Uh, man, he, he just started disagreeing with everything. This guy started, and so now they took half the church of our church plant. We're six months in. We're a year in, and we did this together, me and these two guys, me and these three guys, and they, they got divisive. They didn't realize. I mean, there's, there's, there, I've got two stories right in the media, right this month that I've heard from pastors in our city, situations like that. And I, I, I've watched guys in Harbor Network that didn't take it slow, that immediately launched out with a seminary buddy who, we're going to, man, you're going to be the executive pastor. I'll be the preacher. Let's go do this. Oh, we agree on 99 doctrinal stances. And then they get into it, and three months in, they're going, hey, why aren't our families doing this? And he's like, well, because I'm teaching them not to do this as families. And the other guy was like, oh, I thought we wanted our families. So the practical outworkings of your doctrinal stances, that comes down to this, this element we'll talk about in a little bit called compatibility or DNA. So Brian Howard goes into this. He says, um, be careful. He's, he's helped through all these guys. He says, if you rush it, not having the foundational DNA, it may destroy you. Wait five years. And he even says, you heard that correctly. Wait five years. Now, now, he's not meaning that you're in sin, it's black and white, it's unbiblical, and he's, he has some caveats. Like, if you get there, and one of his caveats is, if you've known a guy 15 years, 20 years, and you guys are planting this, and you're going, man, when we talk about not just the doctrinal stances, but um, not just the theology, but the theological vision and values of what's supposed to be created, um, and they're, man, they just, it just oozes out of them then, yeah, they're probably that. And so you may consider that. And so you, a year in, you go, man, you're, people are coming to you. You are living this out. It just oozes out of you. Yeah, that's fine. So he's not making a blanket statement, you're wrong or sinful to do that, okay? He's just saying most times church planters that have any kind of um, elder plurality, um, theological backing, they, they want to do that immediately for accountability and for um, truth and all those things. And so in that, he just says, just be careful. I've seen it blow up 19 out of 20 times. And it can, it, and, you know, a church plan of 60 people, 40 people, it splits it. Again, I have two this month. One's good friends that, that that's what's happening. And you're like, wow. I mean, been together for two or three years. And then now when they're starting to launch the plan, like, oh, well, I'm going to do this. Well, I'm going to do this, and it's not going to work out. And so I just want you to know that Howard says, here are these four things. Um, um, first of all, let me, let me do the caveat. 
if you know that person for 10 or 15 years, still don't assume that because you agree on those 99 doctrinal statements that they should be an elder immediately. Even if that elder, even if that guy was a, a former elder at another place, because what he's bringing is the, his, the, the baggage, good and bad, from another place. And sometimes we don't notice it. What we're trying to do is we're trying to make this new church plant into what we just came from. And so maybe the new church plant, God is not wanting to be a copy of that thing over there. Maybe there's some weaknesses. Maybe there's some strengths that they can bring to it. But typically what will happen is you, if you just go, oh, just because he was an elder there, he should be an elder here. Well, we agree on these certain things theologically. Well, that may not be what, what this church plant is trying to live out, right? And so give it some time. And first of all, he, he may in time go, oh my gosh, this is so refreshing. This is healing for us. We, this is a great thing. And, and then it is a DNA, it is a DNA match. It does fit, but you shouldn't just assume that. And so um, it can get very destructive. That's what I'm talking about, correct it, the correct fit. That's compatibility. Even though you agree on 99 doctrinal things, do they have the DNA of the church plant? So, and hear me out. That's not, do they have the DNA of the SBC? It's not, um, some may need earmuffs. It's not, do they have the DNA of uh, Master's Seminary? It's not, do they have the DNA of, of the Gospel Coalition or of Keller's type planting or of, of whatever it is? And so it's not that. Do they have the DNA of the, the church plant? Are they living out the, the vision and the values of the church plant? Um, so, so that's just something to think through. He says, um, some things that you need to consider in that is have an external advisory. The first thing he says, have some external advisory help. Maybe your sending church, the elders from your sending church, which we launched out with. Um, and then pastors that you can talk to. Also, if you have some seminary professors, that can guide you if they've walked other people through that. If you're in a cohort and you have some other people that you can rely on that have been in planting for a while, there may be three years down the road, five years down the road, seven years down the road, because I was in a cohort my first year. There are two different cohorts, and like you're like looking at decisions. Hey, should we do this? And they're like, nine out of ten times, it looks like that should be the decision you should make. But if you'll just wait, you'll probably see that you should probably do this. And like ten guys say, yeah, Three years in, that, that looks like it would be the right thing to do, but it may not be. Um, so just learning from cohorts. Be, have some advisory guys. Secondly, um, you need to teach and communicate biblically what, what this looks like, what, what a biblical expression of eldership. So I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to that have said, I was asked to be an elder at this church, and, I was, and, and I'll just ask them, so hey, how many times did you hear elder teaching? I don't think we ever taught through it. Because it may be a church where they, where they didn't teach expositionally. They didn't go through Titus or Timothy or 1 Peter. They didn't, they didn't teach some of those things. And they, they, so literally guys who are now an elder, and I've never been taught biblically. So I want you to know, so we purposely, so we went through um, in 2018. I, I called it identity. If you haven't got this, so in all my notes, it's, it's like you're getting the same thing. So identity, 2018. Two sermons on talking about plurality of elders. Um, we are the church. It's almost the same thing as identity. I'm, I'm, I'm sneaky. It's almost the same thing. We are the church. It's not changing. You should be alarmed if I have five different uh, sermon things on the church and all five of them are completely different. You're like, are we schizophrenic? And so, no, the next one's we are the church. Two different sermons on plurality. Um, uh, the next one was Covenant Partners in 2020, two different sermons. The next one was in our membership stuff in 2021, two different sermons. We went through Titus. I did three sermons on Titus, chapter 1, 5 through 9. Um, so in that, um, a biblical teaching. So everyone's on the same page of that. Um, number three, be careful if, 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 if they're coming from a former place and they're pushing for control and they're pushing for eldership. Last night we ate at Louis um, and Jinx. And I remember it, it just kind of, I had this kind of weird, you know, traumatic feeling because I remember teaching in one of the times that we were teaching on eldership and what I was talking about in the teaching on elders was, I've seen it repeatedly, many of you have seen it, where the elder board sometimes can kind of lean towards just being a judiciary board, that some guys who want to make decisions, and that's not all elder boards, but sometimes there's a couple of guys out of five, maybe that that's what they're really about is the judiciary board. Some guys, before they get onto one, they, they kind of think, oh, I guess that's what it is. They make all the decisions, and that shouldn't be what an elder board's looked at as, but I remember teaching through um, this at one point in, in plurality, and, and I was explaining how that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for guys who want to shepherd souls, 
who want to love and care for souls. Now, they will have to make decisions, but the, the number one thing is not just a managing system. And so I, I was bringing out in the sermon for a couple of weeks how, man, I, I want guys who will really get to know people and that they'll care about people and ask them, how, how are you doing? I laid out you know, several questions. They should be asking people, how's your soul doing everything? Guess what? That Tuesday, I go to lunch. This guy, he was here. He had been a former elder in a very solid Bible church here in town. Guess what? He laid out six different questions. It was awkward even. He, he was not the type of guy who was really like this. He wouldn't talk to any people hardly, but then he's like, Sink, I just want to know, man, how's your soul doing? And, I was, and at first I was like, he's not like this usually. I've never heard him talk to people like this. Hold it. This is my script from Sunday. And then next question was like, well, no, no, but how, how's you and your wife doing? Well, hey, it literally was just going off of my script for Sunday of this is what I want guys to be like. It was really insulting and kind of hurtful that, like, I feel like you're trying to do that because you heard me say that. And it, it had been kind of pushy about wanting eldership. And so um, ju- just so you'll know that, that that's, you've got to be careful um, for people pushing for that position. Um, and then just the fourth thing Brian Howard brings up is take your time. Be patient, praying, watching for DNA, praying and praying and praying. Um, so um, here's, the, here's, here's the things that we're going to look at. Uh, today, we're going to, I want to bring out, first of all, just this idea of the great commandment and great commission. So let's look at, uh, so when you think about eldership, everyone, usually if you've, if you've been in churches where that was there, it shocks me, it floors me, it, I, I can't even communicate how shocking it is sometimes that we go to Timothy and Titus or First Peter, and we don't start with great commandment and great commission. Like, is, is, it, is, that, is that not clear? We did, like, the last two weeks, we talked about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number one rule, hey, kids, be this way. I don't want to show my kids I'm, not, I'm unloving and not a loving guy, but hey, here's the rules. When you grow up, you need to be an elder. Here's your qualifications. Like, if he's like, yeah, Dad, you're a jerk. You're a jerk to other people. No one likes you. Um, you're a jerk to us growing up. Then, like, something's off, right? And sadly, guys, I've been in a lot of places where those judicial board guys, management-type guys, on just, I'm managing the system, I want to make decisions. It's not this loving thing. So they should be marked by a love for God and a love for other people. Great commandment. Great commission. Their life should be marked by you're seeing them slowly, patiently invest in other people, invest and pour into other people. Um, And so great commandment and great commission. Before you get to Titus and Timothy, do you see this about these type people? And so it shocks me that you've got men, I've literally, I had a pastor tell me one time, Sankey, you're wasting your time having college guys come up here. You're not a good communicator. You need to spend more time working on like a 30-minute sermon, and you're wasting your time on these guys. You're too relational. You're too worried about going, and you're going and hanging out with these guys, getting in their life, doing these little studies with them. You're too relational. And so this, your, your version of discipleship is not correct. It's horrible. Discipleship happens when you preach a sermon. Everyone's discipled. And so, may I, may I, may I was 32, okay, may I, I, I guess that's what you learn in seminary. I'm doing all this wrong. I'm doing all this wrong. But yet, man, I was seeing guys just really growing in their faith and, and coming to faith, and we were seeing these things and seeing relationships and seeing guys meet really godly girls and seeing all these, this fruit, but yet you know, I was being told, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And this guy was extremely... Um, biblical on stances, but didn't have a a vision and value of how he lived that out. And so think through that. Um, Is there a love for God and a love for people? Is he showing that he has a life of making disciples? And I'll say so, and I'll tell you, so um, for us, when our kids were little, I want you guys to think through this as you have growing families. When your kids are all little, you're, you're, you're discipling, you're doing little things that we talked about in family, um, family discipleship and family devotions and faith talks and uh, faith walks and all these things and memorizing scriptures, they're little and stuff. It gets weighty when they get 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you better be discipling them first. You better be pouring in and pausing some other things. I've got 15 guys, but particularly two or three in the last six or seven, eight years, the guys that said, man, I spent my afternoons and evenings creating spinning plates at the church, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, events on Saturday. My son hates me. I didn't pour into my son. My daughters, they're off living alternative lifestyles. Man, our church looked good for 
you know, we, we grew. We had 100 people, 200 people, 300 people. My kids want nothing to do with the church. They lost their dad because of ministry. And so that used to be a badge of honor. I, I, I think it's mistaken. I think it goes into the, the elder qualification of managing your household well, loving your kids. They, they better not lose dad to those, to those things. And so that used to be a badge of honor. And so um, thinking through that, as you get older, you better be pouring the years in at, at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, because when 14 and 15 and 16 comes and they've got their own opinions and thoughts, which is normal, then you better have spent some time with a relationship um, where, where there's some trust built and you can go back to that where they remember that you were telling them and warning them and showing them that. And so not just relying on external things. So let's look here at Titus. Um, this, we're, gonna, we're not going to cover all of the... Uh, we're we're going to go through qualifications of Titus and Timothy this week. And uh, I'm going to go through the, the, the bigger pictures of those. And then next week we're going to go into the specifics of those character elements. Okay? So let's look at Titus chapter 1. Um, verse 5 through 9. So if, just so you'll know, this is where the qualifications for elders, if you've been in a place you didn't know what that was, it's Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. So Titus chapter 1 says, This is why I left you, Paul's talking to Timothy, I mean, talk, Paul's talking to Titus, this is why I left you in, in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order. They had come in, they had planted a church, they had seen people respond to the gospel. They had done some discipleship. They had stayed there for a number of months, and then they had left. They went on after a while, and then they sent back, and he says, that's why I left you in Crete, to put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So you see Paul's admonition there that there needs to be elders over each local body. And so there are these community churches at the town, like there would be the, 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 the Jinx Church and the, the Sepulpa Church, and so those type of things that would happen in little cities. Um, little communities. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So that, that's, that's Titus's understanding, uh, what Paul has said to Titus. And now let's look at Timothy. It's very, very similar. The, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And so notice back in the, the former one, as he talked about that, um, he talked about elders. And so this word elder, overseer, shepherd, um, presbyter, all those are used synonymously through the New Testament. There's four different words there um, that are used. They're used synonymously. It's the same role. And so here in, in, in Timothy, he calls him an overseer. He must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, which able to teach is one of the criterion that's selectively different than just a deacon. And so it's not, hey, he's much, much greater, much more, more godly, but able to teach and protect sound doctrine is one of the things that sets an elder as a distinguishing mark from a deacon. Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." So those are those um, qualifications. And so I think I have a slide there. Um, we're going to skip the first Timothy. We're going to go to that next week. But um, also there's one in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 6. If you know the famous passage where there's some widows who are not being fed. And so the, the, the apostles say, well, hey, we're supposed to focus our time on ministry of the word and prayer. So you have a first time where this idea of deacon and deaconess, of where they're, they're serving, they're going to meet the needs of the body, the physical needs. So you have this aspect of the, the elders saying, we're the spiritual oversight, or the apostles saying, we're going to be the spiritual oversight. We need some leaders in the church who will take care of the physical needs. So deacons, the word is just servant that will take care of the physical needs of the body. And then you have the spiritual oversight. Oversight, and that's what an elder overseer 
um, would be pastor. The same word there. And so that's Acts chapter 6. So if we look at this, um, there's some famous books. There's a lot of books on elder teaching. Um, Strock's book, um, we went through it, I think I've been through it six times, uh, with leadership groups and leadership elders. And so Strock's book is one of the older ones. Uh, so I've got a little, um, a, a, I think it's a little um, slide up here. So uh, Dr. Allison, uh, Greg Allison, uh, historical theology, you know, he, him and Grudemer type friends, and he, he's the one who wrote, he wrote 31 pages for every doctrine, uh, doctrine that Grudem has in systematic theology. He said he wanted to show how we landed on that doctrine. So if Grudem says, here's what is orthodoxy, hey, hey, Greg, why don't you take some time, and he spent 13 years working on this, by the way, and so um, how did we land on that as orthodoxy? What were the heresies involved? What were the things that were right? How do we know that Scripture led us to this stance as orthodoxy? So uh, Allison, very informed. He says, uh, teach, lead, pray, shepherd. By the way, he's one of our Harbor Network uh, theological guiding guys. He's, he's one of the guys, from, he's a Southern Seminary uh, professor, and he, he's one of the guiding theological guys for Harbor Network. And so um, he says, teaching, leading, praying, and shepherding. Strock's famous book, Lead, Direct, Govern, Manage, Care For. Um, here's mine. I'm going to throw mine in there. It's not as well known as theirs. Uh, loving, great commandment. Feeding, leading, praying, and caring, great commission. And caring, not, not so in, in discipling, that's what I'm doing for your soul. I'm just caring for, I take the time to care for your soul. That's what, that's what we should be doing. Um, then others, there's other guys, Dever and some of those guys have some good stuff there. Uh, protect, feed, lead, care for. So you shouldn't have anything that's kind of weird. The only thing that I will say about this is, so I agree with every one of those. All those are great. Um, my concern that I've seen in, in places that were extreme doctrinal and using Strock stuff, so I, I use Strock stuff, you have to look at when Strock went through seminary, the, the um, formational people that were above Strock who taught him, you think of generation. So you've got the traditionalists, you've got boomers, right? Then you've got Generation X, then you've got millennials, and then you've got Z, right? And so um, all these things that are going on. So the traditionalists and boomers, they were the ones, he was a part of the boomers, but he was being taught by traditionalists. So when you look at, you know, the U.S. coming out of World War I, World War II, um, all the things happening with our, our culture at the time, um, you see lead, direct, govern, manage, care for. And so there's a little bit of heaviness on just the idea of management. It's managing and directing and those type of things. So it's a little bit heavy. That, that was what that generation expected. A lot of them coming out of the military, and so churches, it, remember the, the, the great moral right was the 50s and the 60s and 70s, and so it looked more on some of that, that type of stuff. And I just think that uh, sometimes that can be a little bit um, heavy, and so I've been around some places. I've seen that repeatedly. Many of you have probably seen that also. Um, so I just want to, to, to bring that out. We want men who meet the requirements of Titus and Timothy and Peter, but who are known by being great commandment, great commission men also. Um, this is so overlooked. I can't state how, how easily this is overlooked. So great commandment, great commission. Are they known by their love and devotion to God and also their love for people that's flowing out of that? And, and, and you guys may get tired of hearing me say that, but guys, I've just been around places where you can have guys sometimes who the church was a career move because they had a, you know, a daddy syndrome or a small man syndrome to where they needed crowds to make them feel better. The bigger the crowd was to make them feel better. And they, they didn't realize it. And they probably were aware of that a little bit sometimes, but just didn't realize like there was this, this hole in them. And uh, just the, the bigger the crowd makes me feel like I'm really important, really significant. That shouldn't be, that, that's an idol. And you should, be, you should be aware, know ourselves, realize that's an idol. That's not what it's based upon. Um, and then also guys, sometimes who, who just, they, they wanted either the control of that or um, that they, they really wanted it just because of the fact of, you know, they, they thought that they, they, they would be a great, you know, Matt Chandler or something, just have thousands, John Piper, thousands of people coming. I talked to a young guy just a little bit ago, he's 28, and he's like, he wants to plant a church, no calling, doesn't feel a calling at all to it, but he just goes, I think when I get up to preach, there's just going to be a ton of 20-somethings that all gather, and it's falling apart, you know, and it's like, man, that's probably not the best idea. So um, this idea of this judicial board, um, that's not what you're necessarily looking at. Yes, they do have to make decisions, but I've seen many, many places that prefer a guy's management and organization 
and maybe even their communication skills over their overtly horrific lack of love and grace for people. I've just seen it repeat, and we've been under it. We've been hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt by it. And we've seen people hurt and churches split by it and just like there's just something off. But they can tell you everything in the Bible that's black and white and right and wrong. And they'll probably try to add on to the Bible sometimes, on, and you better have your externals all lined up correctly. And, and, but they're not the most loving people. And so some of you all have experienced that. Um, so just know that there's, there's a concern sometimes for what can happen with that. Um, and so the last thing I want you to see, so the four things that a lot of people land on, um, recognizing elders, is this idea of calling. I think there's a slide there. Yeah, calling, character, competency, and compatibility. So calling. Um, thinking through, um, there should be a calling. Because let me tell you, when things get difficult with people's lives and souls and things that people get off on uh, emotionally, uh, theologically, uh, all kinds of stuff, COVID, thank God for COVID, that was fun. And so everyone's dealing with all this stuff. Everyone, everyone, wh- whether you want to act like it's not happening or not, it's happening. And so then you've got to just love people and walk people and be very, 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 very patient. And so there's times when we've had stuff going on. It's hard to step into a guy who's really, really loving. I've been in a place where uh, two or three times where a guy was really, really loving. Everyone thought their family looked great. And then when we did background checks, there was some things that flared up that was like, oh, there had been uh, inappropriate touch with kids and stuff. You have to bring them in. It's hard to sit down with those people and go, hey, listen, man, we love that you're really connected. I know this was you know, 12 years ago, whatever, but you're never, ever, 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 ever going to be around little kids. So, hey, you can be at the door welcoming, greeting. You can help park cars. You can set up, sign, you can do whatever. But because we love children and we know the devastating effects of that, that's hard to know that, to treat them just the same, to not let everyone in the church know it, and to guard and protect their heart and to carry that and to then have to speak that to their life. And that's just one. Marriages that are they're falling apart, but, man, things look wonderful it's almost kind of sickening when, when, when they're, they're, the marriage is rotten, this guy's got all this junk going on, or this woman's got all this junk going on, and you know internally it's horrific, and you're trying to care for four months, six months. Amen. So you see you know, steps forward, steps backwards, steps forward, and then they start taking shots at you or criticizing. You just have to take the arrows and be patient and keep praying, keep bringing truth. You can't go and tell everyone what's going on with them. You can't go and tell your small group, hey, really pray for them. <laughs> He's a mess. You guys don't know it. You can't. You just don't do that. And so, and then when they start turning on you and criticizing, there better be calling there because you'll want out. There better be a calling that holds you in when, when you start getting arrows. And so calling is huge. Um, sadly, I've seen more uh, guys who uh, that, that sometimes want the position or grasping for the position of it. And, and as soon as some heat comes, man, whoa, oh gosh. Man, we just need more prayer. We, we need to pray more. We need to, uh, this is just, I don't, I don't want this. I, wanna, I just want to expose this. Well, yeah, but we're shepherding their soul. So calling, that's what holds you in it when things get miserable. Um, character. Um, are you seeing them living out those, the, we're going to go into next week, all those criteria that are listed, those requirements, the, the character requirements of Timothy and Titus. We're going to go through each one of those next week and try to bring some understanding to that. But do they have godly character? Is a man evidenced by conviction, confession, repentance, renewal, worship, the great commandment, great commission? Um, Thinking through um, the issues of character there, all all different levels. Um, One thing that you'll see sometimes is a a person's different in their workplace than they are in the church. And so you'll see people that are, um, they, they, maybe they're in the workplace and they have to be, they're, they're, they're placing all the people that work under them, they are like, oh my gosh, it's a mockery that this guy thinks he's a believer. You know, like, I mean, anyone, 20 people, 40 people that work under them, um, it would be a mockery for anyone that works under them to think that they're a believer, much less to come to church and see you with your hands raised, you know, and, and it happens all the time. And, versus guys who people go, oh man, yeah, he, he's not perfect. He, he, he has flaws. He has failures, different things. Um, last week, um, it was our first, you know, that we, it was our first, you know, sixth grade game. And so the joke with me is that, like, if I, I I'm usually, they, they need, like, a little rope tied around me because I'm not on the sideline. 
Um, I, I'm about 15 yards out on the field, and I'm, you know, and they're sixth graders, so they need to be yelled at. And so anyway, I'm, I'm just like, hey, come on. And so the guys are like, thank you, get back, thank you, get back. And there's times when, oh, it kills me. It kills me when, like, something that you just coach a thousand times, like, don't let this guy, you just can't let anyone behind you. That's your only job. Like, you don't have to make the tackle up there. You don't have to do this. You don't have to, the only thing is don't let a guy run behind you. And guess what happens? This you know, 11-year-old lets a kid run behind him. And so then and I'll, I'll toss my clipboard. So sometimes I'll just throw my kid. And sometimes I, I'm not throwing it at kids yet. But like I, sometimes I'll just toss my clipboard. So my mother-in-law and, and Jamie's aunt, they, they're like, hey, we saw the clipboard on the ground. Did we miss something? And I was like, no, I, I, I literally didn't throw it that game. And so if, if, if that's the worst people have on me, you know, then that's probably all right. Now they're probably always be like, oh, he's a pastor. Did you throw, see him throw the clipboard? That's probably why Coach McCoy stays up in the box. They can do whatever up there and, and, and get away with it. And so with, with that, like, it shouldn't be shocking. Like, if I was cussing those kids and kicking them and hitting them and all those things, then they're like, like hey, he's a pastor? What's going on? And so in, in your workplace, are you that type of guy um, that, that, that people go, man, he's, he's consistent in his authenticity across the board? Um, all those things. And so thinking through um, that, his character. Compatibility, um, I'm sorry, competency. Does he have those requirements fitting with um, First Timothy and, and Titus? Um, is, it, is there competency? And, and this one specifically on the teaching element. Now on the teaching, we'll go through next week on that, it, able to teach. It also talks about in the other part, able to hold on to protect solid gospel is what it's talking about there. Are they able to protect from heresies and false doctrine? Are they able to do that? It doesn't mean that they're all preaching from the pulpit. It means that maybe in small groups, they may be in personal discipleship, they may be leading a Bible study, but, they, but the bigger thing is when people from the church come with conspiracy theories and end time things that they're wanting to make this end time new, you know, new guy in 2022 discovers something and he wants to make that central for the church and start going in this, changing everything for that, that like, no, 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 that, that, that's not even, we don't know that's exactly true. Here's what we're focused on, making sure that those gospel um, initiatives are, are first. And so is he able to discern those things or is he always pulled aside by different ideas and thoughts and all those things? So then that's, that's the third one. The other one is compatibility fit. Um, so just thinking through, do they have the DNA of the church? What the church's vision and value says, I mean, you see this guy living out those values. You see him living out the culture that's wanting to be created. Because remember, vision is a picture of what you want to see in the future. And so that's both, we, we, we've said, we want to be solid theologically, but we also want to be a place where we're relationally strong and we're also welcoming to people who the church sometimes has treated as hideous. Because you see repeatedly, as we get in these parables, you're going to see Jesus had such grace and mercy for the most hideous people. And sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we're, we're, we're just over here and we're like, hey, that, that's way off the charts. That's really, really bad. Clean yourself up and then you can be a part of us. And so no, we, we've got to be all three of those things together. So as we go through that next week, I hope that you're able to um, join us to see the second part of this as we go through those um, um, characteristics and the, the different um, things that, that show here's how this guy lives this out in, in Titus and Timothy, but also in First Peter. I want to bring out a little piece of First Peter uh, this idea that um, sometimes there's guys that are doing grasping at it, and there's guys who are wanting to do it for wrong motives sometimes. And so you've got to be aware of those things also. Um, and so that's what we're moving towards. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that more next week, and then um, we'll, we'll end up going with some parables after that into the next eight or ten weeks. So please, I hope you're able to um, be, be with us with all those things. Uh, let me ask you these questions in, leave, in leaving. The places you've been in the past, places you want to be, do, do, they, do they love you and want the best for you spiritually? Are they using the Bible as their guide to do that? Are they men who you know, they, they truly do love you? They, they, you may disagree with them on certain things, and you may have different dis disagreements as far as, hey, we're going to do this with our kids, or we're going to drive this kind of vehicle, we're going to live in this kind of neighborhood, we're going to do this, we're going to, but, but do they love you and are they even willing to say difficult things, confrontive things, more than simply just wanting you to like them? 
Are they trying to love your soul towards Christ? Do they labor in prayer, preaching, teaching, feeding the flock spiritually, being led by the Spirit? Are they patient and faithful in their leadership direction? Or are they always grasping the next new thing to grow the church? Um, What are they leading you toward? Is it more of Christ and the gospel that leads to more grace? Or is it just leading you to, hey, here's, here's sojourn. We have this external conformity. Here's what we expect you to look like, to dress like, to, to your kids to be like. And here's exactly the, the conformity that we expect that, that sometimes is beyond the biblical expectation. And so are they selfish or sacrificial with their time, their gifts, their resources? Are they greedy for gain? Um, as we think through that, I hope that... Um, you're able to think through what that looks like in the places you've been before. Do they care more for your soul than they do even your approval? And so um, those are things that we want to see developed in, in a biblical leadership. So let me pray, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. Father, we are thankful for um, this exercise, the, these, these roles that you have, these offices of elder, pastor, overseer, of deacon, deaconess that are to, to serve the church, and then the elders and, and overseers who are leading spiritually, not in a prideful way that, that, that gains um, impressive things for them, not in any way greedy for gain, for financial gain, or for um, power, control, but in a servant mindset. I pray that both of those functions, both of those roles and those offices would be understood from that aspect of, uh, of the image of Christ coming to serve in humility, to love, to lead, all those things, Father. And we pray that you would allow us to be a people that, that, that value those things. And we, we may all come from different places where it was heavier on one end of managing or um, directing or decision-making versus loving and caring for souls. Um, we pray that you would give us just patience in that, wisdom in that, that you'd allow us to um, love you through that aspect. Um, We pray that you'd be with us as we go into our time of the Lord's Supper. Um, Thank you for allowing us to gather together each week to take the Lord's Supper, to participate with what he did on the cross, what he did in our place, in that substitutional atonement. We thank you that we can come in this week if we've had miserable failures, that we can look to the cross and see that we can confess those things, ask forgiveness for those things, that it's not based upon our work, but it's based upon Christ's work. If we've had a wonderful week where there were just spiritual highs, celebrations in life, God, we can look to you as the giver of those great things. You're the provider for that. And more importantly than the things that we just went through this week, that that eternal life was given in this blood and this body that was broken. So as we go into this, let us think soberly about that. Let us celebrate it but let us take it in um, as we would thinking through how to love you more, how to love others more as a corporate body. In your name we pray. Amen.